Hey guys, welcome back. Today we're going to discuss where pedophiles come from. Now, you're probably not a pedophile. Your neighbors probably aren't pedophiles. It's actually quite rare, as we will see. Uh, but also, as we will see, uh, pedophilia, I would say, is an extension. Egregious extension, though it may be, of something every adult does when they come in contact with a child. So, not a pedophile. You are probably not. But... I don't know. There's definitely some uh, some psychological insights we can glean from what pedophiles do and kind of go, oh yeah, what, what am I doing and how do I interact with children? That doesn't mean you're a bad person, right? It's not nearly to the same extent, but in psychology, very rarely are there definite markers between one kind of pathology and another. Everything's a gradation. Sometimes there are with schizophrenia, I would argue, but that in some other cases, but um, plus I, I think pedophilia is an interesting topic because it's disgusting, like incest. And if you really investigate incest and what it means and how it impacts us, you know, it's like uh, this, this huge asteroid that, that hits your psyche and a lot of debris comes up, right? And there's just a lot of information in that debris. Joinanimus.com slash feature if you want to find out more about what I do. The outline here is, we'll go over context, you know, just introduce some, some main thoughts, some main ideas, just information that we're going to use to try to figure out where pedophilia could possibly come from. Now, you want to say, oh, it probably just comes from, you know, uh, people who were Raped as children go grow up to rape other children. And that's kind of true, but it's a little bit more nuanced than that. Then we'll talk about the biology of pedophilia, how they have uh, different, just abnormal brains. Um, you know, it's just not what you would see in somebody who isn't a pedophile. So then we'll look at some theories on, well, what is pedophilia? You know, where does it come from? And then conclusion, you know, what does it mean about us that pedophilia can exist? I don't know. That sounds kind of vague, but it'll make sense. So context, uh, what is pedophilia? Primary sexual attraction to prepubescent children to through puberty. I'm just going to talk about strictly pedophilia. I know, um, <clears throat> you know, we're talking about pedophiles in the news like Jeffrey Epstein and whoever he was hanging out with. People say, oh, he was a pedophile because he was having sex with a 16-year-old girl, whatever. He's not a pedophile. He's a predator and belongs in prison because he's probably still alive, right? <laughs> uh, but he's not <clears throat> a pedophile. There's hemophilia, which is when you're attracted to um, people, children who are puberty to 14. Then there's a febophilia when you're attracted to uh, <clears throat> children who are 15 to 17. Now, you know, I, I was watching uh, Sleeping Beauty this weekend, and Prince Philip probably looks to be about 10 years older, <laughs> you know, because I was preparing for this presentation this week, <laughs> and then I was watching uh, Sleeping Beauty with my daughter, and Prince Philip seems to be about 10 years older than Aurora, and she's 16 in the movie. I mean, that's that takes place on her 16th birthday, so he's probably 26. Okay, he would be an aphebophiliac, according to this diagnostic criteria. And it's not if, like, you happen to find a 17 or 16-year-old girl attractive. Uh, that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. It's do you actively pursue or would you only be interested if in a relationship if she was 15 to 17? And so that's a big difference. It's, um, you know, it, it's like you're put in a situation where you could steal a lot of money. You could steal a million dollars, let's say. And you, I, it's not a real scenario, um, but let's just say you know that you would not be caught. Would you steal, and, and you know it was somebody else's, would you steal the million dollars? Uh, and a febophiliac would say, yeah, I would definitely steal it. Somebody who isn't would say, yeah, I would be tempted and it's attractive, but no, God, no, Ugh. 
I, I wouldn't be able to live with myself. Right? That's, that's the difference. So just to clarify, we're just talking about pedophiles in this. So the popular belief is children who are sexually abused grow up to be pedophiles, and that's true, but it's inexact. The other way of that this is expressed is you make others feel how you feel, consciously or unconsciously. If you have trauma that you have, haven't really acknowledged or haven't talked about or don't understand all the above, you will make other people feel that trauma. In a close enough relationship, you will make other people feel that trauma. And this goes the same for, for pedophiles. You know, it's not necessarily that they were sexually abused. And so now, like, the uh, sexual abuse, you know, mechanism gets turned on, although that kind of is what happens. And a sexual abuse mechanism gets turned on, and now they need to go and abuse children so they feel okay with themselves. So, you know, it's just like a natural thing, right? Like we, we communicate to children what we think is true about the world. And if what's true about the world is, well, when you're 10 years old, somebody just comes in and grooms you to be sexual, then that's, that's what you'll do. But this doesn't really explain where the first pedophile comes from, right? If you need to be sexually abused and you're not going to be, you know, sexually abuse somebody else unless you were sexually abused, well, right? doesn't explain. And of course, it's just an inexact, it, it, the popular belief is true, but it's inexact is what I'm saying. Uh, then there's this thing called uh, grooming where you put a child in a situation that they cannot, that they cannot handle. And it's not, oh, this is a spelling test that's difficult. Uh, you know, you're introducing silent vowels to a second grader. Oh, that's advanced. That's difficult. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about their neurology is not adapted to handle the situation that you're putting them in. I would almost liken it, I've been watching a lot of Sleeping Beauty. I've also been watching a lot of football. I, I would also maybe liken it to go... <laughs> Uh, playing an, uh, a, a quarterback, playing as a quarterback for a down and just seeing how well you do. You're not, you're not equipped for that situation. You're, you're probably going to do a really bad job, which is fine. And it's funny. And I think that would be a good television show to just put average Joe's as quarterback and see how well they do. But when you go back to the sideline, you know, oh, I'm not really prepared for this. You know, I'm 5'10". I'm 5'10". I can baby bench 200 pounds. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not an athlete. But children won't do that. Children will say, oh, I didn't handle the situation and that means something bad about me. But it's not even a good analogy because you're, even though you're not an athlete, you're still neurologically adapted to handle the situation of playing as a quarterback. So it's like, you were put in as a quarterback, but you don't have any legs. And then you still beat yourself up. You still internalized it when you failed as a quarterback, even though you don't have any legs and haven't prepared for the position. And there's different levels of grooming. And everybody grooms children to some degree. You know, it. this is what happens. It's just to what extent do you do it? The first level is incidental. This is typical emotional stress, rage dump, like you have a difficult day at work and you're stressed out and you don't even have to talk to your child about, uh, you know, the difficult day at work that you had, but you take that stress out on your child and you get angry with them. You get a little bit more angry, a little bit more, you know, short with them if they're misbehaving or not listening. Or you have some kind of stress from a, a money issue and, and you bring that home. Or you, you want to control your child and you do it through fear. You do it through fear that you have about a certain situation. So let's say, um, I guess this is more with the, the child. So let's say you have a son or daughter who's 15 and they're interested in a girl or guy and 
you don't want them to date. It, you know, let's be honest. It's really going to be your daughter that you're going to be more uh, touchy about this. And you, you don't want her to date because you're, because you have fear. You have apprehensions about dating. And you make dating seem like a big deal and way more dangerous than it actually is. You put that on the the 15-year-old. Okay, that's grooming. That is putting, which you do in all relationships, but children don't have the wherewithal to to reject that and, and think through that and say, oh, this is what mommy is really doing. They will inevitably take that on. Um, you know, even if your 15-year-old daughter rebels and goes and dates a bunch of guys, it, she's she's still going to have a lot of fear. And that's why she's probably going to go on to be more likely to form insecure attachments because of that. So that's the first level of grooming that I think everybody does to some degree. I definitely do it. Um, so, I mean, part of the... I, I, um, part of my responsibility around here as a father is to get my daughter ready for bed, which includes, you know, giving her a bath, brushing her teeth. And a few weeks ago, she didn't want to take a bath. You know, she was really resistant to it, and she was throwing her head back. I was I was holding her up, and she was throwing her head back while we were in the bathroom, and I got really angry with her because, hey, if you throw your head back in here, you know, there's the toilet right there, there's the tub right there, you're going to hurt yourself. Okay, and that's true, and I and I needed to communicate that to her in the moment, but also what I did is I used my fear to control her because I didn't want to deal with a toddler flinging her head back. It's freaking annoying. So that was grooming. I need to take responsibility for that. The next stage is conceptual grooming. This is when you talk to a child about conceptual issues that they don't have the foundation to arrive at certain conclusions. Like with politics. Politics is conclusions that you reach after a long chain of integrating facts and understanding the world and understanding how people are. If you're eight years old and in the middle of doing that and your parents come in and say, oh, this this one presidential candidate's bad and everybody who votes for him is bad, they don't have the wherewithal. They do not have the neurology to deny that in any way. And they will, and if you make it sound, you know, mean enough, they will have to believe you. And they usually do. Same thing with religion. Not that you can't instruct your children on what's the right way to do things in the wrong way, but if you just come over with, if you don't believe in Jesus and if you deny his existence as the Son of God for even a second, you spend an eternity in hell, that that is egregiously um that, that is overloading a child's neurology and, and they can't say no to that they can't say no uh, same, same thing talking about race you know how it's typically talked about with children today is oh you know jenny's at a disadvantage because her skin is darker than yours that is something you know kids don't even under recognize race i mean they, they recognize you know people of different skin colors maybe but as far as race and that being real for a child, no, not not until puberty at minimum. Now I'm thinking of this viral video that went around. This is several years ago now. It could have been five plus years ago. And it was this guy teaching his student karate and they're breaking blocks or breaking boards. And, and the kid He's probably six or seven. He went to go hit the block and it, it didn't break and his fit hurt, fist hurt and he started to cry. And the instructor got, got down on his knees and he did a great job. You know, he empathized, but they're both black, by the way, it doesn't matter. And, and he empathized with them and he said, yeah, I understand. You know, I cry too. It's okay to cry. And then he went on to say, especially you as being black in America, Things are going to be more difficult for you because you're black. Meaning it's okay to cry because this country is unfair to you. Now, maybe that's true. I don't know. Uh, 
you know, I, I think that's a complicated discussion, but do you tell that to children? No. Not because it's wrong, necessarily, but because they, if that is true, that is something that they need to arrive at themselves by living their own life. That is not for you to impose on them, though it may be true. Uh, there's lots of things that I think are true <laughs> that I wouldn't, you, you know, like, oh, if, like, what, what I think politically is if you vote re Republican or Democrat, you're, you know, that that's the wrong thing to do. And, and you're probably a little, not stupid, but you're just naive. I, I think you're just naive. I would never tell my children that if you vote Democrat or Republican, you're naive. Now, maybe if they, we, when they start to become teenagers, we can have, begin to have those discussions maybe but even then I would say what are you worried about politics for you know it's just so sad okay then uh, th another type of grooming is you know physical of course this is beating beating children now you know the thing is is if um, an adult let, let's say you're an employer and you, you go around beating your employees Right, that's that's still wrong to do. Right, but at least that person, if they're over eighteen or an adult, they can say, "Well, the, my boss is crazy. <laughs> He's just I, I didn't do this report exactly the way he wanted it, and he came and he hit me in the head. What a psychopath! Children won't do that. Children will say, "Oh, there's something wrong with me." Now they'll rebel, but you do it enough, and they'll just internalize that. Oh, just something's wrong with me that I didn't do this report right. It's still wrong to be an adult, but at least they have the neurology. They have the conceptual faculty to say, no, this this is wrong to be treated like this. And then if you know, if you put any child in a parental role, like having them take care of their siblings, which is fine to do, you know, if oh, help your uh, you know, help your sister do A, B, and C, help her brush her teeth. But if they feel like they need to do that because specifically mom and dad aren't there, that's, I would say that's physical grooming. And then of course, sexual grooming, you, you treat them as, um, well, no, then you just phys uh, sexually abuse them. Sexuality up, up in the conceptual, that's just, bringing up sexuality with them or talking about that in any, you know, serious capacity. Um, children aren't ready for that. You know, once they hit puberty, yeah, that's really good to talk about. Um, and they may have some questions. They may have some questions before they hit puberty. You um, don't belabor the topic. I would say just communicate like, yeah, it's coming. I, I can give you some details, like a uh, penis goes in a vagina. You can, you know, say stuff like that. But, you know, we'll talk more about that uh, when you're older. I mean, the worst, you know, I, I mentioned that video that went viral of that karate instructor telling his student that because he's black, you know, things are going to be more difficult for him. I was also, as I was preparing for this, I, re I was reminded of the, this video of it, of this video, yeah, where these parents would bring up sexual topics with their prepubescent children, and the humor in it was how embarrassed the children were. And it was like, I don't know, some Vox or some wired thing that they do. This is several years ago now. And it's just egregious. Egregious. Like the, like the parent would have a dildo and would say to the eight-year-old, do you know what this is? That's grooming. Yeah, you think it's funny that your child's embarrassed? No, that's awful. That's another thing. You don't embarrass children. Like, like those punitive uh, punishments that, that, that uh, parents do where they embarrass their children from misbehaving. That's grooming. That, that is something that they don't have the neurology to to say no to in a sense then, then there's this other topic called emotional congruence um, and there are, are people I would say Michael Jackson's one of these who had a lot of mo emotional congruence with children though he wasn't a pedophile there's no real evidence that he was go and look through all the information it's all there it's ridiculous that he was accused of this 
Now, this is congruence typically due to you're, you're rejected from interactions in adult society, but also you just never grew up from being a child. You, you were put in a place of arrested development because of you, you were su- subject to different kinds of levels of grooming that you never grew up. And um, so you just feel an affinity towards children. Usually it's projection. I mean, of course, you know, that that's what child, uh, adults do who uh, really seem to love children is they just project all their good qualities onto children and say, oh, you're the ones they have it. Uh, so that's one idea. And just because somebody has emotional congruence with the child doesn't mean that they're pedophilic. Now, they are more likely to be. And I think you would see, I think the number is 50% of pedophiles do feel this emotional congruence. The other 50% are just predators. Um, Yeah. And then there's the uh, epigenetics, which is not the precise term for this, but it's just the idea um, when the environment triggers your development, which is totally true. Now, whether that affects your genes and you can now pass those genes on to your offspring, that's kind of been shown. I'm I'm not going to take a firm stance on that. Um, it, it seem, uh, some of those claims seem more real than others. I'll just say that. But we see this all the time, right? You get fat and you get in a relationship, your testosterone goes down, you get fat. Or your wife gets pregnant, the, the guy's testosterone drops, he gets a dad bod, right? But this is especially true in children. Children born into famine are much more likely to be obese because... If, if when you're six years old and, and your body senses, I mean, it's really amazing the way this happens. And this, this explains the development of other, I think, more severe psychiatric disorders like borderline or bipolar or schizophrenia, which we're going to talk about. I think pedophilia is an iteration of one of those. It's like a sexual kind of uh, borderline. But but it's amazing, you know, children are, are put in, in this famine situation. So at six months old, if you're not getting enough, enough milk or, you know, whatever, your body says, oh, we're in a, uh, we're in a world of scarcity here. So I'm going to change my metabolism. I'm going to change the way I digest nutrients, not for a few months. And we'll see what happens with the milk supply for the rest of my life. It's like there's a window where your body tries to figure out its metabolism. And if certain needs aren't met in that particular window, uh, you are, um, you're not coming back from that. Um, or if there's no dad at home, it's been found that if, when there's no dad at home, if your dad leaves, uh, girls reached menarch earlier. Now the reasoning is, I don't know how true this is. I mean, that's been shown to be true. Whether that's the the exact uh, you know cause effect, I don't know. But oh, if dad's not home, that means we're at war. That means we're in a time of chaos. My value as a as a girl is to be biologically valuable, right? That's like what your biology is saying. So we're going to reach Menarch as soon as we can, which has to do with some other physical attributes of, of each individual girl, whatever. We don't have to go into that. But the idea is, is that when children are treated like an adult, their brain, their neurology goes, oh, it's time to be an adult. It's time to turn on adult mechanisms in our body, you know, physiologically, psychologically. So I no, I don't think epigenetics is the right word for that, but that's the popular word for it. And this is just kind of a, a caveat here: sexual abuse isn't uh, pedophilia, right? Sexual abuse may be. So I mean, you don't have to be a pedophile to sexually abuse children, as indicated by a Dangerous Method, a great you know David Cronenberg movie about Jung and Freud. And their development, it's just a great movie. Um, 
you know, some of the stuff, you know, it's a movie, but it's as accurate as a movie can be. And if you want to get a, a good idea of, you know, the differences between Jung and Freud and, and how this stuff developed in the early 20th century, I would definitely go check out that movie. It's a, it's a great movie regardless. But Jung realized, right, he was beating the coat with his cane and that girl started to orgasm. And it was, you know, when her father gave her beatings when she was a child, they were bare, bare bottom. Like she would have to take her pants off and he would hit her butt with something and she would orgasm. Okay, now her father's not a pedophile, a bad guy, but he's not a pedophile. But that's still sexual abuse. The child has a sexual response from something that the, the father's doing. And yeah, fewer than 50% of child sex abusers are pedophilic. Another indication that this is an extreme form of predation, a kind of emotional predation. But, you know, we're humans. Emotion and sexuality is tied. I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't have to, to know about more about your emotions. I don't have to ask you about your emotions. I just have to ask you about your sexual life. What does your sex life look like? I, I tell you about how you handle your emotions. Okay, now let's go to the biology of it. Um, so the associations are pedophiles are one inch shorter on average. Um, the non-pedophiles, this is a big one, which is, you know, significant, but not that uh, significant. But the, the two that are big associations that, that indicate, I think, this is a developmental issue. We'll get into exactly what that means. 15 IQ points less, that's huge. Um, and then 30% left-handedness, which in the population it's like 10%, right? So and you only see stuff like that in autism, schizophrenia, borderline, bipolar, these other more egregious developmental issues. So that's an indication that, you know, what we're dealing with here is in pedophilia is developmental. And indeed, that's the case. I mean, the main difference uh, between um, pedophiles and normal people is abnormal white matter. Um, and, you know, who knows? I mean, this this may all be different in 20 years. I mean, it's, if it's brain scans, I was going to put some brain scans up here and show you, but it's all BS. You know, if you're ever serving on a jury and, uh, <laughs> and, and one of like a expert witness comes in and he's a psychologist and starts showing you brain scans, just say, no, this is all BS. Um, but you know, we do know some things about the brain. It's not like we don't know everything. And, and white matter is important, right? If there's less white matter or it's just there, but in different places, then that indicates a developmental issue. White matter connects different parts of the brain. And that's what developmental issues are, except in rare cases like, you know, ADHD, that's a developmental disorder, but it's not that there's no connection between the cortex and, and the rest of the brain or then the limbic system. It's, you just have, you have a thinner frontal cortex. But we see the same kind of, uh, same kind of idea with when people are autistic or bipolar, or borderline or schizophrenic. Like, the the structure of the brain is there; it's just not connected very well. It's not working very well. And you know, if if something in our environment, if we don't get species expected stimulus when we're supposed to get them, then our brain, you know, the structure of the brain develops well, but the connection between those parts doesn't develop that well. And, and you know, wires get crossed and that's exactly what it's, what seems to happen with pedophiles. Uh, is this an explanation? Just the fact that they have abnormal white matter? No, it's not an explanation. It's an association. It tells us, well, this is what's going on in the brain of, of, pedophiles effectively you know they, they see a child and their their sexual apparatus turns on as opposed to the loving nurturing caregiver apparatus which we can you know safely assume that this comes from some kind of egregious form of grooming 
when they're at a particular age. Um, pedophile comorbidity. So LGBT are about 3% of the population. They're about 20% of the pedophiles. Alcoholics are 10% of the population. Or I think this is all drug abusers. They're 50% of pedophiles. Men are 50% of the population. They're 90% of pedophiles. I, I, that's lowballing it. I think it's probably more like 97 and the other 3% who are women are lesbians who abuse boys. Uh, and half are half of pedophiles could also um, register as borderline or antisocial. Now, look, this doesn't mean that if you're gay, you're more likely to be a pedophile. I mean, it could be the case that, you know, just like with the Catholic Church. Oh, if you're a priest, you're more likely to be a pedophile. No, but people who are pedophiles and recognize this inside of themselves, maybe they're more likely to feel shame about their sexuality. They're more likely to, to join an organization where they think they can turn off their, their sexuality. Right? They use the priesthood as an as a attempt to hide. And it's probably go. It's I would say it's the same with uh, people who are LGBT. But you know, this just gives some indication of uh, what's going on here with pedophilia. And there's just something called acquired pedophilia, another indication that this is a developmental disorder. Uh, people are are totally normal um, sexually, and then they get a brain tumor or a brain injury, and then it creates pedophilia then they become pedophiles it, you know it's like uh, people who, who get an injury to their temporal lobe of their brain to the side of their brain here they will show signs of autism that they will begin to act like somebody who's autistic and you go oh yeah autism is poor connection between the temporal lobes and the rest of the brain mostly the cortex it's just you can't read emotional situations you can't take the temperature of the room um, so again, this is just another indication of the biology that shows that it's a developmental issue. So let's look at the development of pedophilia. Let's look at the development, the etiology of borderline. So there's a part of your life when you're a child, there's a part of your life where your emotional regulation happens. Nobody knows exactly uh, infancy, early childhood. What the child needs is proper care and attention at this time. Without this, they can't develop this emotional regulation system. They can, it just doesn't work as well. And you can't go back. You know, you can't take a five or six year old and go back and, and fix that. Right? Their, their brain is open to development for a certain amount of time. And if you mess with that, you're screwed. I mean, you're not totally screwed. There's therapy and stuff. There's things you can do. But you're not going to be normal. You're not going to be normal. Now, you can work hard on yourself. And, um, it, and you know, you, you can develop a cortex later on and observe your behavior, but it's going to be much more difficult for you to control your behavior. It's going to be much more difficult for you to not victimize others. You're going to need medication. Um, you can't go back and, and reduce certain stages. Same thing with autism. We're finding more and more. Uh, yeah, you know, some people are born much more likely to be borderline because it does run in the family. Much more likely to be autistic. But, you know, if you catch autism early and work with the child, you can develop their brain in a normal way because a lot of the white matter that connects different parts of the brain, you can change that just by putting the, the, the child in a different environment, teaching them different things, right? Like you get a child early enough and, and like their, their brain develops as they grow. So you can change the anatomy of their brain, not really the different parts of the brain, right? That's going to grow how it's going to grow. Uh, but you can change the way that 
that that brain connects. And, and if, if I could, you know, define a psychological health in biological neurological terms, I would say it's a brain that communicates well with itself. I mean, that's what we're doing when we regulate emotions. We're like, yes, I have this emotion and I'm feeling it. Right? So conceptually, I get my emotion. My executive function gets it at the same time. I can feel it without losing my executive function. And I can think of it without losing my, my limbic function when it comes to that emotion. It's just that the two parts of your brain working really well. And that's why we talk through emotions in this way. Cause it's like, you're feeling it, but you can talk through it. You feel it. You talk through it. You feel it as you talk through it. You are becoming more integrated. You're becoming more congruent with your emotions. And a lot of this apparatus gets set up or gets set up early. And if it's not there, you don't go back and change it. That's why borderline, they often present as a child. You know, they, they have the same kind of boundary system as a child. And um, look, being around children, that it, it can be, I mean, feeling that kind of intimacy with somebody, it feels really good. But also, if that's an adult relationship, it's definitely maladaptive. So we look at the, uh, you know, the ideology of borderline and kind of go, hmm, yeah, I think I might know what could be going on with pedophilia here. Um, it's like your, your brain didn't develop properly at certain key emotional stages, but later on you became sexual because you hit puberty but your brain wasn't up to speed. So at some point, so when that happens, you could say the wires get crossed. The white matter doesn't form properly. You add sexuality to that, which is of course why men are pretty much all the, the pedophiles because men are the sexual aggressors. Uh, then, then what? I lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah, you're just going to associate childhood with sexuality. And the same thing with the uh, ideology of a fetish. You know, no one knows. Just sometimes the brain makes strange connections. The mind makes strange connections. And I would have to, you know, like I, I talked about in my fetish video. You, you know, you're 13 years old. You're a freshman or, yeah, you're a freshman at 13, right? And then you see an, uh, an upperclassman, a senior, 17-year-old female, and she just has this look, and she shows up on the right day of your uh, of your development, and you just have a thing for that look. A jean jacket was my example in the fetish video. Or perhaps even younger, you're 10, 11 years old, and you go to the beach for the day and you meet this girl and you hold her hands. Um, you know, you hold hands with a girl in seventh grade. And you, you think about it for the, for the next three years. I mean, that has a huge impact on your brain. I mean, you can feel it. I mean, I just remember from my own life doing stuff like that. And it's like, oh, my God. Um, yeah, it's a really big deal. You can't stop thinking. It has a huge impact on your brain. And so these things link up. You're at the beach and she has coconut suntan lotion on. It could be the case, you know, that you have a thing now for coconut suntan lotion. That is, that can help arouse you. Now, do you need it? Well, if you, if you need it, that would indicate an unhealthy fetish. And, and of course, if the fetish is hurtful in any way, obviously coconut suntan lotion doesn't hurt anybody. It's just this fun thing to enjoy. But if your fetish is around prepubescent children, that's that's a totally other issue. Mm. And yeah, you know, it, just like with borderline or autism or bipolar, there, there could be genetic predispositions for pedophilia. There, there's signs that there's like... Uh, you know, relation in, in families. So again, you know, you take somebody with this genetic predisposition and, and you groom them, not necessarily sexually, 
but you put them in adult situations where their brain goes, oh, I need to grow up, I'm an adult, but their brain's still a child, and then they become sexual. I, I could see how childhood and sexuality could link up in that kind of situation. Okay, so conclusion. What's the origin of pedophilia? You take a sensitive child, you put them in adult situations, perhaps sexually abused, not necessarily. Their brain is in a state of arrested development. Um, you can't go back and correct it. They become sexual, and then they're like a sexualized child. That's one way. The other way is... Right, just like the Joker. I want to watch the world burn. You know, some people just want to watch the world burn and you go out and you, uh, you know, you want to leave an impact on the world. Uh, no, no, there's lots of good ways of doing that. There's some serious antisocial, poor brain development kind of ways. And I could see pedophilia. You know, there's really not a lot of good information about pedophiles talking through how they became pedophiles because they can't explain it to you. So I'm making a lot of inferences here, but I, I could imagine you could see this kind of extreme sexual predation as uh, yeah. yeah. I could see wanting to do it. This is the part of the presentation where I get contemplative. By the way, I, I mean, I don't know if I'm talking about pedophilia like it's in, in this, you know, I, like I'm trying to be unemotional and like I, I don't care. So I'm, I'm just trying to be like very I'm scientific and cold is, is what I'm saying. Maybe it seems like I don't think pedophiles should be punished. Well, I, I, no, I don't really think pedophiles should be punished necessarily because I don't think that works. I think they need to be removed from society, of course. Not put in prison, but mental hospitals. But this goes into my whole view of, of what the prison complex should look like in America. I think it should look more like mental hospitals. The main thing with criminals is you don't punish them. That's stupid. It doesn't work. What you you But you do remove them from society at the very least. You re, uh, rehabilitate them. Yeah, to whatever extent you can. Um, And, you know, if somebody's a pedophilia but they haven't abused children, I wouldn't put them in jail either. I mean, because that just sets a terrible precedent. I do think there are people who are pedophiles who, you know, it's a fine line you got to cross because you want to be accepting of pedophiles to the extent like you want them to talk about it and admit that they're screwed up and that they are much more likely to, to hurt a child than somebody who isn't a pedophile. Um, but at the same time, obviously you want to remove them from society to whatever extent you can, but there's our thing, you know, there are things that pedophiles can do and that's, you know, to work on their issue. So I think pedophilia treatment, I've, I've been linking it to like a, a sexual borderline. I would think it looks like borderline, uh, borderline treatment as opposed to manipulating people which is what the borderline does in you know excessive degrees that's the addiction for the borderline person that's that's their survival mechanism i would just change out manipulating people with sexually abusing children as the addiction as the thing that your brain does the thing that that you that your brain tells you to go to to protect yourself. So there's going to be a lot of medication and therapy every day. You, I don't know, you might be able to live a normal life somewhat. Not really. You know, it's sad. Same thing with borderline. It's sad. You really can't go back and, and change this emotional structure in the brain. But uh, not as sad not nearly as sad as children being abused. That's the worst thing you can do to a child, to sexually abuse a child. Physical abuse is bad. Emotional abuse, if it builds up enough, you know, like I indicated in my four stages of grooming, it could probably 
register as this child was sexually abused. You know, the, the effect that it has on his or her brain. But I would, I would treat it like a, an addiction. Hmm. You know, this isn't like a, a moral equivalency w w with addiction, but, uh, man, yeah. And of course, the main point is where do you groom children? Because that's what I think this presentation is really about. <clears throat> do you say things like, oh, life is hard work, life is suffering? Do you bring this stress home that you don't know how to manage and inadvertently dump it on your children by being short with them at dinner? Or if your daughter or son doesn't want to eat his food, do you make it about him? Do you talk about politics? Do you say Democrats want to destroy this country? You know, that's something that you would say in passing. You don't really think that. Maybe you do. No, I think people do, do think that. Um... And so maybe you mean that, but that means something completely different to a child. But you really got to notice that stuff. Or white people, whatever, are racist, black people are this way. That is a huge burden. I mean, that's... You know, different kids are going to be affected by this to a different extent, but you know, I could just imagine that being... Right, because what if you really believe white people are racist. But if you really believe that, and I think a child, if the parent says it enough, especially, they will really believe that. And they will have a, a completely warped view of the world and that idea would affect them in a way that you could never convince them of later on if they were 15. You know, I mean, they can come to, to think that white people as a whole are racist when they're 15 but the effect that the emotion of that statement this the severity of that statement has on the brain when they're seven or eight there's no coming back from that your life is just going to be a constant you just be in a constant stage of deprogramming yourself and you see this all the time with religion i understand you know i i like religion i think there are things in religion that are vital for the survival of humanity. But organized religion, the way that organized religion you know, grooms children, not just sexually, in the, the case of the Catholic Church, not a fault of the Catholic Church. Well, not directly a fault of the Catholic Church. You know, it's like, well, why does the uh, Catholic Church house pedophiles? It, well, it's the same reason that Penn State housed a pedophile, Jerry Sandusky. I wrote an article about that a long, way, a long time ago. You have to look at the similarities between the Catholic Church and, and how that's run and how people respond to the Catholic Church and Penn State football. How that's run, how people respond to that, the way that people think about Penn State football. You know, you, you create these delusions of fanaticism, you know, with fans in football. That's where fan comes from. <laughs> You create this culture of secrecy. People seek out these institutions and hide in them and, and use them to their own advantage. I'm not saying Penn State football actively sought to house a, a pedophile, although it seemed in the case with, you know, uh, Joe Paterno. It seems that he knew. Uh, but he cared. I think he cared. I don't think he's a bad guy necessarily. I'm trying to be lenient. I think he cared more about the survival of Penn State football than he did about some child getting raped. I don't know. It's just you guys. You got you just got to look out for this stuff. You got to see. Right, we have to. <laughs> We had 12 years to fix climate change, otherwise, otherwise the world is over. I forget the show, but my, my wife was watching a show. Um, what was the name of it? I don't know. But but they convinced this girl. that It, it, it took place in, I think, Carmel, California, which is, you know, super white, liberal, extension of the hip, like wealthy hippies, though, if they are hippies. 
and this girl's like maybe second grade class. They were telling everybody about global warming and the, and the, the girl in the second grade class, maybe she was seven, started to have a panic attack. I can't handle that. It's not true. We don't have 12 years to fix climate change, but even if it was true, they, what, what are you going to do? Or any kind of money is scarce messaging. Um, okay. So where you're going to groom children is you're going to put your unconscious emotions on them. That's where grooming ultimately comes from. You put your unconscious baggage on them. That can happen in a less severe way or an extremely severe way with physical sexual abuse. But it's all gradations of the same thing. So if you don't want to do that, if you want to become aware of your unconscious emotions so you can keep them as your emotions, and rather than dump them on, dump them on others, use that. Use that vital, dark, disgusting, however you see that, Use that emotional structure there to connect with others as opposed to dump on others. You first need to understand what emotions are. Before we do anything, we need to understand what emotions are, how exactly they work every time with everybody. Now, I understand people will feel emotions in a slightly different way here and there. But you first got to learn what emotions are. Joinanimous.com slash book. There's a link. You can get it on Kindle or um, paperback on Amazon. But I just go through these diagrams. Here's the anger diagram. This is how anger works every time. This is how anxiety works every time. And based on how anger and anxiety works, there is a way that therapy must work. There is a way to talk through emotions. And you will not make any progress in therapy unless you talk through emotions in this way now other therapy you do i think you may inadvertently talk through emotions in this way so you may see some kind of progress but fundamentally the structure the skeleton of therapy needs to be to recognize your emotions for what they are and to talk through them in a specific way to process emotions which means to become more aware of them the more aware you are of this unconscious emotion the less likely it's going to affect you and other people outside your awareness joinanimus.com slash feature to learn more about what i do thank you guys and i wish you all the joy and pain that comes from uh, the realization that you do in fact groom children to some degree